Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And welcome to another episode of WA Expose, a podcast about local arts by local artists. I'm your host, Aria Scarlett, with the immense privilege of recording this podcast on Wajak Noongar Budja. Today's guest is a true internationally acclaimed legend, having dazzled audiences around the globe, including in New York, London, Paris, Ireland, Singapore, and across Australia. Her versatility knows no bounds with a range of acts highlighting her pivotal 20 years of dance experience and culminating in her being an award-winning burlesque artist. She won't be shaken, but she'll definitely cause a stir. It's Lulu LaCure. How are you, Lulu? I'm really well. Thanks so much for having me. You're very, very welcome. Um, I always love to see people's reactions as I read the intros. (laughs) There's like very much two schools of thoughts to it. There's the people who are like, yes, that's how my bio is written. Mm -hmm." And then there's the people who sit there and go... Oh, I hate my bio. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, oh, no, this is a lot of pressure. <laughs> yes, we've listed all of these countries and now you re- represent them completely. <laughs> you are the monolith of all of these places. <laughs> no, there's no pressure here. Okay, so as you know, we've only got one question to get us started, which is why burlesque? Yeah, so burlesque was introduced to me by my best friend who just said to me, um, let's go and um, try a class. So I went along and then... I entered the world and I haven't left. So <laughs> it was not uh, something that I actively pursued. I um, mm. had always performed dance, so jazz, tap, ballet, classical, etc. And then I um, thought, oh, this burlesque is a little bit different to anything I've done before. Mm. So um, yeah, I guess I was just interested in exploring that and still exploring that today. Prior to that, what was your experience in the dance world like? It was great. I loved it. I started when I was five and it felt like a real community. Um, I loved being able to express myself and just have the opportunity to get up on stage. But I was always one of many people performing. So Mm. um, obviously burlesque is a lot more solo. So that was a, a giant leap for me to step out and do that. So I loved it. Um, and then I, I guess, yeah, so I did that for about 20 years and then. Casually, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's showing my age. Um, and then, um, yeah, and then started burlesque and that kind of opened my eyes to this completely different style of dance that felt way more natural to me. So mm. even though I really loved, um, more commercial style of dancing, I guess burlesque felt way more natural for me and I was able to have um, a lot more control over the creative side, whereas previously, 
you are taught the dance and ah, the music yeah. and you're given the costume. Um, whereas burlesque for the first time was an opportunity for me to kind of go, hang on, what is it that I actually want to do? How does my body want to move? So, Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, so going from like a quite a strict, like um, commercialised sort of dance form, although we love them, yeah. um, into something that's a little more freeing. What else like drew you to stay in the world of burlesque? Because you could have easily gone back to dance at any time. Yeah, I think it was the people and the community. So I just met another group of people who were like-minded and shared that same level of passion. So I feel like you join, well, you start doing burlesque and then hook, line and sinker, you're in that world. It just kind of like (laughs) takes over. So I think... um, When I first started, it was all about um, just trying to learn as much as I can um, and perform. And then now it's kind of morphed into I still love it, but I love it for different reasons, which is exploring, you know, more of the costuming side, Mm. less about the performing sometimes. So Less about the performing. Well, less about, I guess, when I first started, my goal was just to get up on the stage. Yes, okay. um, yeah, totally. As much as possible. Whereas now I still really love doing that, but I just um, really want to um, present things that I'm really passionate about. Yes, and we go through those sort of stages as performers too, where it's like, anywhere that'll have me, I'll get up and do a yeah, jig. And yeah. then it's like, hang on, what actually do I want to be seen doing Yes, as an yeah. artist as well? Absolutely. So um, oh, you've said so many brilliant things. My brain's like, oh my gosh, all these questions I could <laughs> ask. This is great. <laughs> I talk a mile a minute, so no, please tell I, me to stop. <laughs> no. Oh God, no, I'll never. The only thing I really, the my ideal podcast version is where I don't talk at all. <laughs> And I ask one question and then somebody else talks for an hour and I, I leave. I'm not even here anymore. <laughs> I've left the studio. No, um, so when you started in the burlesque scene just to now, obviously we're like, you know, you're a very, very young person. So obviously there will be no timeline here at all. But has there, like, has there been a major difference in your experience of burlesque and the burlesque scene in general? Yeah, it's definitely evolved and I think um, you notice different waves of styles of acts. So I think when I started it was very um, classic inspired and then it moved into neo-dark styles of acts and then comedy and then now I think we're seeing the the drag and burlesque worlds um, Mm. combined. So it's been really nice seeing um, that evolution and I think as well – when I first started, there were a lot of audience members who'd never been to a burlesque show. Mm. So I think now um, audiences have been to a few, so um, they're kind of warmed up and, and ready as well. So it's kind of the evolution of the performers and styles, as well as the audiences as well, like ready to see some fresh and new stuff. Oh, yeah, totally. So with our, with our audiences, like as they grow up, mature, don't know, as they learn more about the art form that they're going and watching, how do we then like still put on productions for those entry-level people, those people who haven't seen it before? Yeah, I guess that's a bit challenging. Well, I suppose it's about um, making sure that you have a diverse range of performers on the stage as well um, and just bringing them along. So I think the MC also has a really, um, you know, important role in making sure that they capture the new people because it can be quite shocking. I did a show the other night and there was someone who'd never been to a burlesque show and they're like... (gasps) They just what ready. is happening? Oh, no. Yeah, yeah, in a lovely way. Like I actually think that's really entertaining. Um, but then also for the audience members who've been to a lot of shows, how do you still capture that interest? How do you still um, keep mm. it fresh and new? So I think it's about making sure that you choose a good broad range of performers and style of acts. 
Yeah. So if you, you've curated shows and stuff before. What's the things that you look for now compared to what you used to look for? Um, I think it's um, creativity. So I'm really drawn to concepts. Yeah. Um, so it's someone who has a really great idea and it doesn't have to be something that's literal. It could be abstract and it could be abstract in the sense of the way they present their costumes or their soundscapes. So I think I'm just trying to look for something that's unique and tells a story. Yes. Awesome. Um, okay, so okay, that that's all like other people, <laughs> but I want to know more about you and your experience yeah. um, in the world of, of burlesque. When you started learning burlesque, there's a lot of like chat. Obviously, we've had the conversation before about like body positivity or at least body acceptance in the space of burlesque. How did you find it when you stepped into that world? Burlesque was not something that I ever thought I would do, and I think if you said to me as a teenager you'd be getting up on stage, I would have been horrified. Removing items yeah. uh, would was just absurd like I, I just wouldn't have been able to do it so even when I told my family mm. that I was doing burlesque they were shocked like are you kidding me it completely supportive and they're like biggest fans but they were just like no so I think um I knew when I started burlesque that I had to just go in and just go down to pasties straight away oh interesting otherwise it would become this big thing that I'd built up in my mind mm. so um, yeah, that literally was the second course I did was a solo and then that was it. I, I was in um, the Sugar Blue Burlesque Troupe. So. so does the, when you're learning um, in those beginning stages, those troupe numbers, do they provide like that sort of initial safety net for people to like be like, okay, yes, I'm going to this like different extent, but there's like 10 other people on stage and we can all experience it together? Completely, yeah. And I think it's supportive and there's no pressure. It's completely left up to the individual to go along with their comfort level. So... So yeah, going into burlesque, um, that was something that was completely new and foreign and built my confidence. And then I went, I feel really great about this. And the message that it sends that if somebody who didn't feel comfortable going to um, the beach in a bikini mm. is all of a sudden getting up on stage, it was like another side of my personality. So yeah. So with that, like obviously dance costumes, I mean, Everybody knows they're not like suddenly a lot more clothing than a, bur than a burlesque <laughs> outfit. It's not yeah. like so, so. How where was the like mental divide there? Because it's not it's not a huge deal. Like yes, pasties are a one thing, but the costuming in general between dance and burlesque, it's not that different. Yeah. Yep. No. You're absolutely right. I think. Um, I think it was when I started developing. So I developed a lot more than the other girls in yeah. my classes. So I guess it was more about me feeling um, self-conscious. Yes, of course. Um, and doing ballet all of a sudden, you know, you can't hide when you're developing. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> totally. Yeah, there's that like that crushing moment when you're in a dance class and then they suddenly go, your footsteps are now louder than they used to be. And you go, oh, no, <laughs> little tiny heartbreak. <laughs> So when you um, were stepping into, so you went, hang on, did you do like just one troop class and then straight into solo land? Is yes. that what you were saying? So how, who was your teacher? What did you do? Explain the whole process of like getting your mind around that first solo for us. Sure. So I um, started at doing classes at Sugar Blue Burlesque with Sapphire Demure and um, we did a chair routine and then I went on to do her solo class and I think for me, I went, I can't believe that I get to choose my own style of acts, choreograph myself, um, design my costume. So for me, that was exciting. So I uh, performed the solo routine. 
Um, I did two of those courses and then um, was very fortunate to be invited to join the troupe as a performer. So, um, and then started performing regularly with that troupe and um, learning from those that were in there as well. Do you remember what the song was that you like choreographed your first solo to? Um, yeah, it was Herb Alpert's uh, Love Potion Number no. 5. Yes! <laughs> Yeah, and every time I hear it, I'm still like, oh, yeah, that's right. (laughs) With everybody, like, holding up smartphones and cameras and that in audiences, how do you feel about people, like, taking footage of what is essentially, like, a a very complicated strip routine and then just, like, putting it on wherever they want, whereas often as performers we like to curate what we put on social media? Absolutely. I think if you go to a show, then you shouldn't have your phone out, you know, you... Mm buy a ticket you're, you're buying an experience to be there and I think that when you watch the footage you're not actually capturing that full experience yeah totally um I think even just for my own personal development when I get footage back when it's been professionally shot I, I always cringe when I watch myself so sometimes I have to leave a little bit of time before I watch it because um I guess I, I look at it with a critical eye from the point of view of um, improvement. So yes, totally. Wh- where can I, yeah, make some changes? Yeah, of course. I, I mean, I've been having conversations with people who just come off the mixed burlesque stage about exactly that as they've yeah. been getting their footage back, getting their scores back and sitting there being like, this isn't how I remember it. And it's like, no, because live theatre is never, <laughs> no. it's never what is captured there <laughs> with like the incredible talents of people who are actually paid to film it love them to death, but it's never what, what you're going to be experiencing on the night. Absolutely not. And I think, you know, sometimes I go, oh, but it felt different. Like the way that it felt and then the way that it looks can be quite different. And I think sometimes I'm like, oh, that's a shame. And then I leave it a few months and watch it. And I'm like, why was I so hard on myself? <laughs> anyway. Um, not even like absentmindedly just like clicking a button and watching you do something and then like immediately putting it on their stories or some crap without yeah without look taking any time to actually look at the footage first yeah what can we do to encourage our audiences to experience the moment more do you think that's like part of the MC's job or absolutely I think it's just setting the tone for the show at the start um, and having some rules um, around the the space that they're entering um, beyond that you know you just hope that people listen and respect the requirements of the show. <laughs> that doesn't always happen though. No, no, not at all. I mean, yeah, it's a lot easier for people to just, um, yeah, absolutely do the thing yeah. and worry about the rest later. Yeah. Uh, especially since like, you know, there's that whole, you can't actually prove that you did anything unless you've got some sort of footage from the night. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, what do you, so you, you go, you've taught obviously early kids and stuff. How do you prepare them for like the shock of the fact that you no longer have control over your image in that way? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I actually stopped teaching a while ago just because my personal work life and the mm. less life, you know, combined and it was getting a bit tricky to manage both. But I think I think all you can do is um, just prepare them that this is a situation that can happen and are you comfortable with that before going into that space? Mm. Um, but it's also a responsibility, particularly for students, that you create that space that they do feel comfortable and that's not going to happen. So uh, when I have observed um, people going beyond um, the the rules, I hate that word, um, of the show, um, it, it is a responsibility of the MC, I think, to call that behaviour out. Yeah, completely, especially at things like grad shows um, and in, in those spaces that are supposed to be like often first-time exhibitions for a lot of the people who are 
performing on the stage. Yeah, absolutely. And it's nerve wracking getting up there. So you want to make it as stress free as possible. But also, you know, you want your students to come back, you build really great relationships with them. And that's Mm. what creates the community. So um, yeah, it's really important that we create that space. Yeah, I mean, do we need to, there's got to be a fine line though, hasn't there? Because like, I don't know if we want to do the thing that they do in like, my, my background as an opera singer, you don't want to do that thing where it's like, and now your phones will go away and go into your pocket and you'll have no other experience other than like the one that's happening in front of you. Like you want to have like some sort of trust with your audiences. Yeah. Um, Because if, yeah, if you go into the ballet or into the opera or into any spaces like that, it'll be like, and phones down. <laughs> <laughs> I know, you think people would uh, have learnt that by now, that, you know, it shouldn't matter what genre or style of show you're going into, that it's just a respect thing. Yeah, there's a strange hierarchy when it comes to different art forms like that and what pe- what audiences think that they're owed in those mm-hmm. situations too. Like, um, And when you start, like, I guess, playing with that format, there are, like, these give and takes involved. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, as, yeah it's hard. I think you just, you know... People are adults. <laughs> they should do the right thing. Isn't that I feel like sad? It's not hard. Yeah. <laughs> People are adults. Yeah. No, yeah. I don't know if they are sometimes though. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I don't know if I've got proof of that yet. <laughs> um, so when you first started going on in on stage and doing like more and more solo performances, um, do you think that your relationship with the audience has changed? I think I'm just more confident um interacting with the audience. Um, and so before I'd be like, okay, pick a spot at the back of the room Mm. and you know, that's where you will perform to. Whereas now I love seeing the expressions on performers' faces, uh, it's not performers, audience members' faces and just seeing, um, yeah, them enjoying hopefully the performance. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure how to answer that question. (laughs) No, that's (laughs) totally fine. I think, yeah, I think we, we often like evolve, like I had a very similar experience where I mean all through my training it was very much like well your body is is the instrument wank wank um (laughs) so you've got to be like incredibly still because any disruption to the way you're standing you throw off the whole instrument um which often just means you stand there like a stick and you you look at the exit sign at the back (laughs) of the space and you just sort of like gob open your mouth a whole bunch um but then through time and through like experiences with audiences and because of like the magic of live theater you go I'm actually not in a recording studio. I don't need to be super still and super faced in one way and maybe audiences would actually really like it if I looked at them or acknowledged that they were there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Otherwise I could just be filming a video. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, and I think that as an audience member, I know when I go to, um, you know, to a gig and um, the band starts talking, that's what I really love. I'm mm. like, tell me more. I want to learn more about you as a person. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like it's a bit dorky, but that's I like, love that. Yeah, I mean, that was like <laughs> one of the foundations of creating this like whole podcast anyways that people would be like, but I only saw them for five minutes and then they were gone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I want to know about them. <laughs> now um, in your like creation of routines, what do you look for? Because you've explored obviously this like world of different styles within the world of like more classical routines, more neo routines. You talked a little bit about the blend of like drag and burlesque. Yeah. Where do you find that you sit currently, the current iteration of Lulu sits? Yeah, I think uh, I'm heavily inspired by music. Um, music's I'm always dictated by the the song I guess do you mean where I sit in regards to the scape of burlesque and the style or as far as creating acts you can tell me both okay (laughs) tell me more (laughs) 
Um, I suppose, yeah, when it comes to putting something together, I'm heavily inspired by music and that kind of drives um, my creation of acts. But I also love um, playing with costumes and textures. Mm. So um, for me, I'm like, how does this um, play into the concept? So for example, I have this stag beetle routine and for me it was like, oh, well, you know, what what type of um, mood am I trying to create? What Mm. kind of texture should the costume be? So I kind of, um, that's where I'm at at the moment is I really love that kind of creating space and then making the costumes myself. And then as far as um, in the actual scene, I don't know. I, I love kind of switching between doing super classic. Yeah. I feel like that's probably the style that came natural to me entering into the burlesque scene. But I love really heavy music. Yeah. And um, <laughs> that's my jam. Uh, so I also love doing really darker stuff. I don't know. I feel like I'd love to do more contemporary style. Um, I just love exploring that kind of movement and maybe fusing that with burlesque a little bit more. Oh, yeah. That sounds incredible. Yeah. Okay. So there are all these lovely definitions that are flying around. Um, can we just like dive a little bit onto Absolutely. each of them just for like the benefit of everybody listening? Um, how would you best describe what classic burlesque is? Um, my definition would be anything that is historical. So for me, it's anything from like the twenties to the fifties. It's a, um, very classic old Hollywood style of movement, Mm. um, gorgeous costumes. And, um, with that era, I guess that's kind of been labeled as more traditional style music. Um, and then the neo is more your um, your modern music. It can be darker. It could be a concept. Um, it's kind of a little bit more open for interpretation. So is that also where things like your comedy or cabaret style burlesque fall under neo or do they fall under more classic or do they just sort of exist outside those scopes? It kind of merges and it does get a bit confusing because <laughs> you could have a classic comedy as yeah, well. Yeah, of course. Um, so, yeah. I feel like it's kind of like music where the genres kind of all like crossover. Yeah, totally. Um, so, and I think it kind of stemmed from what was called the Miss Burlesque competition mm. back in the day. It was very because we had categories that we had to compete in, um, being you know the traditional classic and then unique and then your neo, which was more modern. So, um, yeah, I, I think it kind of blends. Interesting. I like that you compared it to music um, because there are so many times where we go like, I listen to XYZ music and then it's like, okay, but that actually crosses over here, here and here. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and you yep. think you've like, like one thing and then it just blends all into these other really remarkable spaces. Yeah, That's really good. Thank you. Okay. So we are going to run to ads. I hope there are some. Um, maybe there won't be. Let's find out. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And we're back. I'm still joined by the delightful Lulu the Cure. And just off air recently, we were talking about um, the Perth scene and your space in it, but also like what we love and what we don't love about the scene. So can you dive a little bit into that for me? I think with the Perth scene, I've just seen it grow so much. And I think that Perth has so many great performers. Um, and I mean that genuinely, you know, I know there's obviously a bias, you know, living in Perth, but just, um, I guess I've, I've been very, very fortunate to have travelled and perform in shows um, interstate, international, and I guess um, I'm always really impressing the, the type of acts and styles that get up on, on the stage here. Um, I think that it's been great seeing more shows. I was a little bit concerned with COVID that potentially it would take a while for the scene to get back up and running again, but I think... If anything, it's great to see that there are a lot of shows happening. I think um, I really love community. So I would love to see more events that where it's not even people particularly performing, but it's events where performers are getting together to network and talk a little Mm. bit more. I think, you know, every now and then I only cross paths with a performer once or twice. I'm like, oh, but I'd really love to know their story, what influences them and what are their goals? Because I think by understanding that a little bit more, it also allows us to go, oh, when you're putting a show together, I'd love to, you know, be able to give that person that opportunity and yes. their goals align with ours. And Yeah, totally. That's that really good too because like, we sometimes run into that wall of like only knowing, only performing to our circle. So Absolutely. that like, you know, you've got, okay, these really great casts, but if you only know five people, then chances are you'll employ those five people next time you do a show. But if you've got these opportunities to meet and create with other minds, then you can really reach a little net out a, a fair bit further because there's quite a lot of, especially there are a lot of burlesque performers up and coming quite consistently here in Perth. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And the scene is always growing. And obviously that helps going out to as many shows as possible and um, seeing a broad range of performers. But yeah, I'd love to just have that social connection point as well of getting to know people a little bit more outside of that space. Um, Yeah. Is there, because you've performed all over the world, is there anywhere that you've gone to that you've gone, okay, this place has the community side of it like down packed? Is there any like shining example? Um, I think that that would be hard to answer because I'd only be entering in on that night, yeah, like the, fair, fair. seeing the best side of it. Um, I, I did the New York Burlesque Festival and that was amazing and it was just such a well-run event. And when I arrived, everyone made me feel very welcome. Um, and I felt like that was just a really positive, great environment that showcased um, a diverse range of performers. Mm. So I think also that kinds of experience, they've been running that festival for a long time. So I think that particular festival was uh, a great example. Yeah. Um, and then just, yeah, I've also had some interesting experiences. So I, um, 
I performed in Paris and the change area was an underground tunnel that had been carved out. Wait, what? Yeah, it was so <laughs> fascinating. I was like, oh, and obviously everybody speaks French. So the whole show was running French. And I'm like trying to like listen out for my name when I'm about to go on stage. And they said, I understood the word kangaroo. And I was like, I'm coming up. I know this is me now. <laughs> um, Did but, you hang on? Your buyer's not got the word kangaroo. No, it doesn't. No. <laughs> but it's, I was like, oh, yeah, here we go. Um, but that was also really fascinating because there was a language barrier, but it mm. still felt like such a great sense of community and being included in this amazing um, space. And we all went out for dinner afterwards. And it was wow. just, um, I don't know, I think it's it goes a long way to, you know, a sense of belonging. Totally. And I think, you know, if um, a show can create that, then I think it's just a great outcome for the performer, but also for the audience because that does translate. Yeah. Well, you mentioned a couple of times about like feeling really welcome in these spaces. What, what in particular do they do to make you feel welcome? Can you pinpoint any of that? Um, or is it a vibe? I think it's a vibe yeah. and I think it's also having um, a space to be able to collaborate. Mm. So I feel like when I'm in a show and we get together beforehand and we can brainstorm, talk about it, everybody has an opportunity to voice their um, suggestions, mm. then that is probably the best platform for, for a show. And that happened, did that happen in the Paris or New York show as an example? Um, I think because it was a festival, it's more like an application process totally. and then you go along and perform. But I think it was just um, they both had environments where they welcomed new people and went out of their way. So I think that is yeah extremely lovely. So I think it's important even on a local level that when you have people in a show, everyone's got different experience levels and everyone also has different levels of how nervous they feel backstage. So I think it's really important um, to acknowledge that and to, to I like to try and read the person and go, are they, you know, someone who needs some space to themselves because mm. they process differently or is, is it someone who likes to talk and keep themselves active before they go on stage? So I think it's just, um, yeah, trying to read the room a little bit and meet the needs of your fellow performers. Yeah, totally. Especially so when you're curating the show, that's like an additional something that you're like adding on top of it is to be like, how will they best react to all the stimuli going on around them? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's really important to, to provide that because again, you know, all performers want to do the best job that they can. So if you provide them with that space, then they're going to come off stage feeling great about themselves. And that ultimately I think is the best outcome. Totally. Okay. You don't have to name like locations or situations, but anywhere in the world has there been a time where you've like done a performance and just felt that you were really there for those five minutes and sort of nothing else. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I went yes, off to a next place question. then. No, no, no. <laughs> um, I feel like when I forget that I'm performing, I'm just in that moment and I'm caught up in the music and everything goes to plan because sometimes it doesn't. You can rehearse and rehearse at home and then you get up on stage and you have a costume malfunction and you go... Ah, bugger. But there was nothing you could do to control it. So I think it's just, sometimes it just happens. I feel like if I'm nervous before I go on stage, it's going to be a good performance. For the times where I've not felt nervous, I've walked off the stage and I've gone, I don't think that was the best performance I've done. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So I think it's converting those nerves to adrenaline. Mm. Do you replace those, um, yeah, those, those feelings with anything else? Like say you've performed on a stage like a bunch of times or if you're on like a tour or a production where it's like 
you do the same thing repeatedly, those nerves, those initial sparks, they will eventually vanish because you'll just get used to the situation that you're in. What can you do as a professional performer? Like, and this is great advice for anybody. So everybody listening, um, (laughs) what can you do to like, make sure that you're still like at your a hundred percent because nerves are only going to take you so far. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I, if it's an act that I've been doing for a really long time, then I try and challenge myself to, well, what are you going to do? Where are you going to take this act? Mm. So I'll refilm it and try and um, enhance it. But I think it's all about in the preparation as well. So um, doing a warm up before I go on stage, even just doing fate. I'm backstage. I'm always doing weird like facial movements mm. um, because that is getting into a zone of performing. So. Um, yeah, I think that's probably just preparing yourself in a different way and preparing yourself mentally to get on stage. Um, yeah, I'm not, not sure. Do you have any specific like mental preparation, like routines or boxes you try and tick? Um, I think if, uh, I make sure that I always rehearse because then I go in going, yep, you know it, you know the music back to front. So if something does happen, you can, you know, almost sing the song yourself. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Um, yeah, so I think um, having my costume laid out prepared in a certain way so I have an order. I think it's also just taking time out. Like I like to be around lots of people and talk, but then just having a space where I breathe and go, yep, okay, great, you're going to go out. Remember why you do this? Mm. And that reason is is because you really enjoy it and you want to entertain. Yeah, that's really yeah, that's really important, finding that like quiet space. That's probably something that we could improve on in Perth is like having like, yes, Although not all venues are, can do this and I recognise that immediately. But yes, we've all got like that backstage place where we all like make a lot of chicken noises and it's great. <laughs> but we probably need those spaces where um, it's like less sensory overload for people and they can just like take a couple of minutes before they walk out onto stage. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe that's something we could do yeah. somehow. <laughs> <laughs> um, tell me more about your incredible international performances and like highlights uh, low lights, gossip, no gossip, <laughs> <laughs> sneaky things. Yeah. Um, so oh, I did this amazing festival in Ireland and it was this beautiful medieval town um, and it was absolutely gorgeous, um, old theatre. I love anything that's historical. Um, I went to Japan and did a showgirl tour, so um, travelled with the Flim Flam Review and that was absolutely amazing because it's great when you can also share your experience with other people. Mm. Um, So I think it was eight nights all up um, and every single night we went to a different venue and it was everything from like a really like small venue, members only, to a massive, you know, um, three-storey building. Um, It had this amazing stage where there was a spiral staircase that you could walk down onto the stage. Um, And the audience was amazing. And a few of the audience members would follow us along to our shows and um, had CDs made for me. And, yeah, so they, like, have a really great following over there. I would not go that far. But um, (laughs) but that was super, super sweet. And it was just, yeah, that was such an amazing experience because of the different venues we performed in each one brought its own, you know, different experience. Um, America was absolutely, um, amazing. And I think because, you know, there's so many artists that I look up to, um, performing over there and then to be like, oh my goodness, I get to perform in the same show as them. That was, um, that yeah, was amazing. Um, and yeah, I felt like a really big, um, bucket list item. Um, 
Yeah, it's just been crazy. Oh, and Lond- London was awesome. Um, yeah, it's just different because you're not only in a different environment, you're literally in a different country and trying to navigate the whole system to get to the venue and <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah, it's a crazy time. But yeah, I feel very grateful that I um, had those experiences and hoping to do more travel in the future and perform. Um, there are definitely different styles overseas. And it's really interesting looking at that and seeing that, you know, sometimes the best act that you see is not about, you know, having the most expensive costume. Mm. It's, you know, a feeling um, that you get from seeing them. So, yeah. Yeah, okay. I was just actually going to touch on that because so we've talked about spaces in Asia, the UK and the Americas. Um, Like what are each, like give us some examples of like things that are different in like those burlesque cultures and scenes that like either we do have here or we don't have here. Like for example, Mm. what was um, your experience in the UK? Is there stuff that they have there in their their scene that we don't have? Um, I think that they have venues um, that are set up specifically for burlesque. So ah. um, we don't really have that in Perth. It's more about, you know, you book a venue. Yeah, we make, go. make do. Yeah, whereas there are dedicated places that you go to see burlesque on the weekend and there's, you know, just burlesque shows happening. So there is um, a scene and a venue set up specifically for it. What so. does a venue need to turn it from like one of the great, like one of the spaces we have here? What would like then turn it into like a burlesque location? What extras do we need? I think it's just the space. So it's set up so that people can see burlesque. It's set up so that people can network. Um, and it's a it's a vibe. You, as soon as you walk in, it's an atmosphere. You get to dress up and you go in. Um, yeah, I think, and it's just, um, I guess, having the resources to be able to fund having a dedicated resource to burlesque. Yeah, I guess it's like, well, we love burlesque and we're going to be going here and experiencing this specific thing because we are converted fans as such. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, but I suppose, you know, even though it's great to have that, there also needs to be a desire from the audience mm. to, to keep attending and to, obviously there's always a financial side to art, so keeping that running um, is also an important factor. Hmm. Interesting, yeah, because with the financial side of it, what could we do to continue to entice our audiences to come back so that there was a need for a burlesque-only club? Um, I think it's even going outside of that. It's more about getting funding, um, mm. you know, um, from the government, you know, just yeah. investing more into the scene. Um, I think there's just a lot of value um, in, you know, if there is more funding, um, it further promotes the hospitality um, industry. You know, obviously we've got the venue, you've got the performers. I think there's just so much value that could be added if there was more money injected into the scene. Obviously we have Fringe, but that's a dedicated um, time in the year. It would be great if we had something that was specific for the Perth scene. Yeah, it's quite interesting when, pe- when we talk about Fringe and that too because there are so many artists who basically just come out for Fringe and then they disappear for the next 10 months. Absolutely. And Fringe has evolved so much Mm. since it started. So, um, yeah, I just think there's a lot of opportunities, but unfortunately it does come down to um, investing into a scene. Um, And not just burlesque. I think, you know, it could be merging with, um, you know, cabaret, definitely with musicians as well. So, yeah, definitely. Do you think that there's a like, uh, for example, on your tour through Asia, I forget exactly where you were now. Yeah. Um, do you think there was a higher level of investment into the burlesque scene there? 
Absolutely. Yeah. Again, there was just dedicated venues. There were set nights that there was always burlesque happening. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think there there is a, um, a desire from audiences to see it, but then there's also just um, the spaces are automatically there as well, and that makes a huge difference. Yeah, there's all, there, you can always find your place to be. There's like those safer spaces for the audiences to go to, which automatically means they'll return. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So in Perth, um, it, it does take people um, to be motivated or passionate to create a show. So, um, yeah, and that is a beauty in itself because it is great when you see someone's passion project come to life. Yeah, but we should also be like investing in like, okay, you, that was a passion project, congratulations, but you deserve to be like fully funded so Completely. that it can like, so that the wheel can keep turning. Otherwise, these people, unfortunately, they burn out really quickly. Absolutely, yeah. And unfortunately, sometimes yeah, it is the same people who do get burnt out. So, yeah. Yeah, because the in investment or the funding, for example, only ends up with us when it ends up with a small amount of people. Like, it just means that there's so many incredible acts, artists, and performers, and venues, and spaces, and every box under the sun tech people who just get left out of, of that scene. So, they may yeah. only show up for fringe and then not participate in the arts for the rest of the year, which is sad. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Wait, we have to end on a positive, happy thing. Okay. Not, I can't end it here. This is too <laughs> depressing. <laughs> so hang on, let's return. After like you've told us like so much incredible stuff about your story and all of your adventures and your journey, uh, I want to actually return to the question I asked at the start with why burlesque? So is there like a way you could sum up maybe why you're doing burlesque over any other art form? Um, I'm still doing burlesque because I love the creative freedom that it gives me and I love that um, I can make it my own and I love that I can also work with other people and I'm really looking forward to um, creating more acts with other artists. That's something that I really want to work on a bit more mm. because when I first started, I did a lot of duos and trios and I love that sense of community. So well, I haven't seen a lot of trios recently. No, no. So I think, um, yeah, I think maybe that's been lost a little bit along mm. the way, just like a natural, you know, progression. But, um, yeah, that's something I'd love to do again. I love I collaborating. I want, girl, <laughs> I want girl groups, but they're <laughs> that, that sounds awesome. It's the best fun. That's yeah. so great. So with that awesome stuff in mind, tell everyone where they can find you and bug you about joining their trio. Well, yeah, so you can find me on Instagram, uh, which is just Lulu Lukua, and on Facebook, pop me a message. I always love chatting to people and collaborating or brainstorming together. So, um, yeah, please reach out. Um, and otherwise, I'll see you at a show. <laughs> Definitely. All right. So you'll find those links in the show notes. Um, I want to thank our beautiful guest, Lily Lacure, for joining me today. You've been a delight. Thanks for sharing so much about your experience. It's been really good. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. WA Expose is an independent production. Our artwork was created by Georgia Sassenfeld and our theme music is Corrosive by Aria Scarlett and M Burrows. You can find out more about the podcast or live shows at ariascarlett.com forward slash WA Expose. Oh, yeah, there's definitely cringe in there. Yeah, Don't get me wrong. Right. I look at the videos and I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack 
for free shipping and 365-day returns.